The following is a paid presentation. The views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the staff and management of Shiawassee Radio. This is your cell. This is your bunk. This is the jail visit on Shiawassee Radio, live from the Cofield Oil and Propane Studios. Here's attorney Bill Amadeo. It's been an emotionally draining week, but the Super Bowl was an easy topic. And then the Warriors... And it just seemed like two of my favorite things I could discuss today. Because they kind of overlap each other. And I, I did tell some people I would do the warrior scream. Get to the Abdul Mateo from McManus Amadeo and Grable and Associates. And today we will talk about Super Bowl memories. And the Warriors. Okay, here we go. Warriors come out to play! I did it once. Okay, that's it. That's, if you are a fan of the Warriors, you know that scene, and I will post that later. Okay, guys. Hope you're having a good weekend. I, for one, have been working my ass off. And I've been in the office for a few hours. I'm going to go back to the gym, head home, chill out, watch sports with the fam, and that's where my day is going to be. But... People asked for some Super Bowl memories. I did one of them a couple years ago, and the Warriors conversation has completely come up. Let me explain the Warriors. If you are an Atlantic City kid, and I know some of you guys will be watching, that movie was so powerful back home. Classic. And what I've learned about the Warriors, besides I enjoy it, different stages of life you view it in a different manner right okay but here's the thing watching the movie with different people that could create some new experiences i wrote some of those down let's talk about the super bowl first i don't know i really thought beginning of the year i said you know what my birds are going back to the bowl yeah, that didn't happen. You know, we fell off really bad. And then, how the hell can you not be invested in the Detroit Lions? I gotta tell you guys. I came here in August of 2004. And I have seen the Lions be this horrible and tragic franchise for so long. But this was the year. I told people beginning of the year... If you know my sports picks, they're usually not good. But I said, the Lions are going to win the whole goddamn thing this year. And I thought I was right there. How are you up 17 to San Francisco? It just slips away. Well, you know. Sometimes we must read things. I still don't... And I like Dan Campbell. I just don't understand. Second half... You're up 14. Your first drive of the second half. Why did you not kick a field goal? Your kicker made a 54-yarder, I think, a week before. You go back up 17. You're up three scores. Time has been on your side. It's your friend. You miss on fourth down. You give the momentum back. I really thought this was the Lions year. Sam Fran being in the Super Bowl brings me back to my first Super Bowl. My first Super Bowl real memory was Super Bowl 16. 
The Joe Montana-led 49ers defeated my beloved Cincinnati Bengals 26-21. And it was a great game. It's like 20 nothing at the half. And the Bengals came roaring back and just missed it. Every time the Bengals ran into the 49ers in the Super Bowl, just missed it. The John Candy play. In 1988, you guys remember that when Joe Montana found John Taylor in the end zone for a comeback win. Super Bowl 16. This was before the Niners were the Niners. And you know, my aunt was working banquets at the casino. She brought me back a Super Bowl program, and I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. You know, and every Super Bowl, my Uncle Sam and I would talk the day of. This is one of the things that brought us together. My Uncle Sam, who was really my cousin, but I called him Uncle out of respect, Sam Ioli, truly one of the greatest people this world's ever seen. He took an interest in me. He was a role model to me. And the Super Bowl and sports always brought us together, no matter where I was in life. You know, you were that poor high school kid or the kid in college, the one trying to get to law school, the law student, the lawyer, whatever... Uncle Sam and I connected on football. I think sports such an amazing thing for that father-son relationship. Hope that happens with me and Max. Right now, though, he really seems into Miss Rachel more than football, but kids got time. Knock on wood. Anyway, um, the last conversation I had with Uncle Sam, the very last conversation I had with my Uncle Sam, May he rest in peace. Was right before the Eagles Patriots Super Bowl when we finally won. And it's scary that that was six years ago now. When Nick Foles shocked the world. Uh, I remember, like, I'm staying up late and we're talking on the phone. I had to be in Chelsea the next day. And I'm arguing with John Reiser over a driving while legally suspended. Him and I are screaming at each other before Judge Conlon. And Chelsea District Court. They had to run to Lapeer and deal with some drama. It was it was a hell of an experience. And it's so weird that my Uncle Sam and my our last conversation was halftime of the Patriot Eagles Super Bowl in 2018. A great man, an amazing man, missed so much every day. But in addition to the Super Bowl. Not to be all doom and gloom. The Saturday night before the Super Bowl, something that became a tradition in our household and throughout my life was watching the movie The Warriors. Now, how many people out there know the movie The Warriors? Let me break it down for you. The Warriors movie is about a gang. The Warriors. And... They go to the summit in New York. And the summit is where Cyrus, the leader of the Gramercy Grips, which is the most powerful gang in the city, wants to bring all the gangs together. And what Cyrus tells everybody is that if we unite, we can tax the police, we can control the whole town, We can become rich and powerful if we join our forces together. 
And of course, Cyrus gets killed on the podium by Luther. And Luther was the leader of the rogues. And I want to break down some of the things in the warriors. I'm going to talk historically, and then I'm going to talk about experience that I had watching the film. And that's what I'm going to do, because it's my show today, I'll just do what I want. Why not? I see people tuning in and tuning out. Usually what I'm finding out is my show is like a uh, cool DVR thing where people don't always watch initially, but they go back and then they comment. My enemies pick it apart and my friends tell me how good or bad it was. So I appreciate your candor. But the Warriors movie, they're going to this summit. And at the summit, there's going to be nine unarmed members of all these powerful gangs. And the Gramercy Rips are the most powerful gang in the city. And they, Cyrus, their leader, has this idea to bring everybody together. So they take nine delegates without weapons to this park. I think it's Van Cortland Park. And Luther, who's nuts, he's sadistic, he's the leader of the rogues. He kills Cyrus. And nobody is sure where it came from. But one of the warriors, they see Luther do this. And he's terrified because Luther's going to kill him, but the cops come. So to get the heat off of him, Luther tells everybody, that's right, John Granger, can you dig it? <laughs> Luther tells everybody the warriors did it. And now the warriors are on this crazy journey to go back home. And as we learned in college, my myth class, mythology with Charles McGeever, that's a psychological study. But we broke this movie down, and it's weird, because the movie, to me, there's memories of my mom, we'll get into that a little bit later, but the journey to get back home, and... What Chuck McGeever, who I think was a brilliant mind, said is, you know, we always want to get back home. And I said, hey, what if you want to run away from home? And there was a weird hush in the class. But as the warriors try to get back home, they're not all going to make it. And here's some spoiler alerts, okay? They're trying to figure out how to get back. There's a rift between Swan and Ajax over who should be the leader, who's the war chief. And there's distinction amongst the group. And uh, the first thing they do is they run into the Turnbull ACs. The Turnbull ACs were like a skinhead type organization, but it was diverse. Very weird. But they try to kill the Warriors. The Warriors make it on the subway. And they're going back to Coney Island, where they are kings. And then there's a fire. And what we don't know, what the Warriors don't know, is that the radio station, who's actually Lynn Thigpen, is connected to the Gramercy Rips. And the Gramercy Rips are putting out a hit on the Warriors because they feel the Warriors killed their leader, Cyrus. So the Warriors, they're like these armed, they're like marked guys, right? Oy. And they're running from the Turnbull ACs, and you think they're going to make it home. But then they don't. And this is a story about life right now. Am I going to get back to where I need to be? And they run to the orphans. The orphans are this really 
rogue gang. They're poor. They're not affiliated. They weren't invited to the summit. So these are the outcasts. These are the geeks that were not invited to that high school party. You know, they just weren't. And poor Paul Greco, he's the leader of the orphans. And he's telling the warriors how he's a badass and this and that. And you better know the orphans. He shows them a paper clip. And his feelings are hurt that he wasn't invited to the summit. But it looks like there's going to be peace. The orphans and the warriors are going to be okay. The warriors are going to go through. Everything's going to be fine. And then here comes Mercy. Oh, man. Mercy was a local prostitute who immediately, there's chemistry with her and Swan, who's now the leaders of the Warriors. And this upsets the orphans. <laughs> That's right, John. See, Warriors, see what you get when you mess with the orphans. Mercy is pissed off because she wants Swan's jacket. And they won't give up the vest. And then the orphans, Mercy gets in their head. This is like somebody talking shit and they fire you up. And the orphans are now coming after the warriors because of Mercy. The warriors take care of the orphans. Mercy starts tagging along with the warriors. And Mercy is like trouble, right? She is the good-looking prostitute who wants to escape home, and she wants to be part of the Warriors' story. The Warriors are trying to get home, and they're dealing with all this shit. Here we go. The Warriors get separated. And all sorts of things happen. You should watch this movie. But the fractions of the Warriors now run into two more gangs. There's the Baseball Furies, and these were weirdos that were dressed in face paint as baseball players. And they take baseball bats, they try to kill the Warriors. The Warriors escape. Another fraction runs into the Lizzies. Now here's something any red-blooded male could relate to. The Lizzies are a group of women who come up to the Warriors and they tell them, we know your reputation. Tell us who you want to be with. So these poor morons fall into the trap. Turns out the Lizzies are trying to kill the um, warriors as well. The warriors narrowly escape. And at this point, it hits them. Every gang in the city is going to be after us. And there's this weird scene in the bathroom at the subway station with the gang called the Punks. And they escape from there. And finally, the warriors get back home. When they get back home, the rogues are there. And that's where the scene, warriors come out to play. He ad-libbed that too, by the way. Look it up. And here's the warriors. You think you finally made it home. You're back to the beach in Coney Island. And you can finally breathe a sigh of relief, and here comes your enemy. And they lead him out to the sand. And Luther is going to kill Swan. 
and Swan takes a knife. Luther's gunshot misses. And just as the warriors think, oh my god, I finally made it, the Gramercy rifts come in full force. And Swan's exhausted. And he says to the Griffs, are you still looking for us? And the Griffs look at Luther and the Rose and that we found what we're looking for. You warriors are good, damn good. And Swan goes the best. And he takes his girl, Mercy. They walk off the beach. And the Riffs are about to kill the rogues. And the shot pans the beach and the ocean. You hear In the City being played. The movie ends. Now, a lot goes into that film. When the film first was produced, and it made it to the movie theater, there was gang violence. Certain cities wouldn't show it. In Arizona, I think eight people got hurt. Maybe someone even got killed. You know? A great closing song, right, John? But I'm going to tell you, I always watch this before the Super Bowl. Now, Kara does not like the Warriors. She hates the opening scene. No, Ferris wheel's going. It just drives her nuts. So I got to watch it like when she's asleep or I go in the other room. But I'm going to tell you, historically, it's been an important film for me. When I first watched it, was the Saturday before Super Bowl twenty when the Bears were doing their Super Bowl shuffle. And it was me and my mom on Willow Avenue watching the Warriors on WWORTV. It was Channel 9 out of New York that had a feed in New Jersey, one of our 12 channels. And Mom and I are rooting for the Warriors to survive. And, you know, and here's the thing about that. My mom had me real young. And in many ways, she was like a big sister, but I was also like her best friend. And in some ways, we kind of grew up together, and Aunt Mary was sort of the mother figure. And at this time in my life, you know, you don't realize how bad you're off you are economically. This is one of my happiest memories of my mother. These two kids, if you would. One who gave birth to the other. Because I'm like 10, right? And mom's like 27 and we're just we're watching this film and just rooting for the warriors to survive it's a powerful memory and i think part of the attachment to the warriors is that's one of my real childhood memories of my mother that was happy and peaceful that sticks out and you know this would change because I started watching it I taped it on VHS and you know in high school you know I would my mom changed a lot in high school may she rest in peace but you know she started dating again and she dated pieces of shit I remember telling her, hey, the Warriors are coming on, do you want to watch it with me? And she had no interest in that, and I was hurtful, and you're going through all sorts of violent things, and, you know, I just remember watching it alone in high school. And it was still good, but, you know, it wasn't the power of when me and my mom watched it together. Mom and I would repair our relationship, but when I get to college, Chuck McGeever. Now, if you follow me... You've heard that name before. 
McGeever was fascinated with the Warriors. Fascinated. And in our myth class, he explained this was somebody's journey to get home. And how we always want to go home. And that's all the Warriors want to do. They want to get back to Coney Island. And the literature aspect of it was if you can make it back home, you're good. And this led to thesis papers and this and that. And all sorts of aspects and character breakdowns. Remember, he once asked us in class, and this was a weird moment in college for me. Because, okay, guys, there's some women in the Warriors. Who are you more attracted to? Are you in the Mercy? Or are you in the one of the Lizzie's? And most people were really in the Mercy. Good-looking, prostitutish woman. And then some people were into the Lizzie's. And he says to me, okay, Bill. Who are you more physically attracted to? One of the Lizzie's or Mercy? We really want to get your thoughts. At this point, I'm like giving speeches and stuff. And my words are about... Hey, that's a good point, John Granger. But I got I got one for you, though. I'm going to tell you who I told Chuck I thought was the best looking one in the Warriors. And I said, what about Candy Store Girl? Ginny Martinez. Who's dead now, may she rest in peace. He's like, Who? The girl with the pigtails at the candy store who screams at the rogues, you gotta pay for that. And like, he's like, wait a minute, who is that? Who are you talking about? And he, here's what was funny. Everybody remembered Mercy, right? And you knew the Lizzie's because the Lizzie's tried to kill the Warriors. Here was the thing about Candy Store Girl. She only has that one scene, right? And here's what I saw in Candy Store Girl. She's working late nights at a convenience store. She's got the balls to tell the rogues they gotta pay for the stuff they're stealing. There was something about her which really drew me in as opposed to Mercy, who everybody else was into, and the Lizzie's. Of course, it would be a sign for life, and, you know, we'll get into that later. But when I get to law school, you find your people in law school or you don't, right? And and I found people... I, I do think friends come in historical time frames. You know, the people you were friends with at 10 may not be the people you're friends with at 20, and so on and so forth. The law school people were different, and... I just remember learning, one of the great things about Cooley is you met people from all different places. It was truly the melting pot, right? And um, I would watch the Warriors, I'd study all day on Saturday, watch the Warriors night before the Super Bowl, go in back to the library all day Sunday until the game came on. and. Uh, different girls I dated in law school I watched the Warriors with and I'm gonna give three different three different girls I dated I'm not gonna mention their names some of you will know who they are if you were in my inner circle back then 
but it really is interesting their take on the movie and I think it speaks a lot about life as you look back first girl I watched a film with this was early in my little school career she was an inner city girl and she was all about it you know like she watched it because she's from New York and I'm from Jersey and this was something if you were in that area if you were New York, New Jersey, or Pennsylvania area, you watched the Warriors, right? It was something that was required reading. I remember watching it with her. And even though we had both seen the film many times, she was screaming and all into it. Come on, Swan, kick their ass, blah, blah, blah. I was like, yeah, alright. That's my girl, she's doing her thing. Laughing about it. year later you know her and I weren't together anymore and there was another girl who I watched a film with let's just call her the California Blonde California Blonde was a very pretty young woman but um she wasn't the most intellectual intellectually gifted but like that and we're watching the film and she's telling me Boy, I bet Mercy and Swan are going to have some amazing sex. And can you blame Mercy? Look at Swan. And she's like Googling over this guy. She's like, no, I always really like tall men. And I'm thinking, huh, well, I'm 5'6". What, what are we doing here? And I, I laughed it off. And I said, you know, okay, I'm really into Swan, huh? And then she's like, you know, if we hook up, um, you can pretend to be Swan. I can pretend to be Mercy. Like, okay, this person's nuts. And, and I would learn she was crazy. And, of course, you don't get rid of her at that point. You know, you gotta you gotta see crazy four times with a really good look only before you dump them. Four times, like the fourth strike. All right, strike one, strike two, then the foul tip, and then <laughs> the third girl from law school who I watched it with. She should have been a therapist. Um, she had her degree in psychology and stuff like that, and. It was really unenjoyable while she was pretty intelligent. She would break it down from an intellectual standpoint. You know, I imagine all these gangs come from single parent homes and the psychology of it. Blah, blah, blah. She didn't make it through law school. She's actually a therapist today, which is ironic. We just call her Pacific Northwest. But I, I think what I learned from those experiences are where you're from dictates how you view this film and how you view life right if you're from the suburbs you may feel like you're rooting for the warriors to make it back home if you're an intellectual you may feel like studying the journey will they make it back home and some of us maybe caught between those worlds are just saying do they want to get back home I mean could they have taken that subway somewhere else and just started anew I don't know something to think about the Jail Visit with attorney Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo. Connect with McManus and Amadeo at McManusAmadeo.com or call 800-392-7311. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio. Uh, it's been a weird week. 
you know, we lose sight of people, lose track of people. First thing is today is Eric Coleman's birthday. That's a tough day for me. Uh, for those of you that know Eric Marcus, he was a great guy. And he's one of the reasons, uh, he is the reason I never take control in plea deals anymore. I give a client the pros and cons and they make the decision. I won't make those decisions anymore. I don't ever want to play God and I guess Eric should have his own blog at some point, which is not going to be today, but um, you know, he was a special guy. And then, hey Brian Lundy, and then a couple people I know passed away this week. And there were people you kind of lost touch with. And Facebook kind of kept you in the community with them. But um, we'll talk about them a little bit. I'm Bill Amadeo, McMadison Amadeo, and Gravel Associates. And today it's about bus rides, the old New Jersey transit, and chicken tenders. And you'll see what I mean, both of those concepts. I first want to talk about Stacy Bell. Stacy Bell was really a special and misunderstood individual. She was someone, she kind of had a reputation as a wild child. She was known to party. She was one of the white kids from Atlantic City. We were kind of connected on that. Very different views on things. But we were cool. You know, we understood some of the same struggles. We're getting to that point in life right now where people you know are passing away and it's really kind of sombering. But I'll tell you when I first met Stacy. We were in seventh grade. And seventh grade, there were a whole bunch of new kids that came into St. James. And Father Sullivan kicked most of those kids out. It was very, you know, he, she'd go back with Father Sullivan. And Father Sullivan's going to be a central character in this. Because when I was defending Sullivan, Stacy attacked me. Um, and she laid some things out for me. I'm going to tell you a story about that today. He just kicked out the girls. No, he was, um, he was breaking the rules of confessionals. You know, as we're in seventh grade, strong Catholic school, right? We're told about the confessional. And the confessional in the Catholic faith is a big thing. And many of us that have trust issues comes from these confessionals. Because we were always told what is said in the confessional is sacred. You don't share it. And let me just tell you, Brendan V. Sullivan, after a few drinks, would share your confessions. And Stacy Bell, this 13-year-old girl, goes into a confessional with Father Sullivan. And she's crying her eyes out, and she tells him this horrible story. There was a story about a parent of hers who was really sick. And this is a time period 
before the internet where we didn't really understand things the way we do today, certain issues. And she told Sullivan this sacred thing that she'd been holding in, and she was crying her eyes out. And within a month, he kicked her out of St. James. And for a girl like Stacy to get kicked out of St. James, that was something that hurt her forever. Because throughout the years, so we run into each other, talk on Facebook or whatever. She always came back to it. She put her faith in the Catholic Church. And Father Sullivan was the symbolism of what the Catholic Church was. And he broke the trust of this 13-year-old child. Stacy was always a sad girl. In high school, we used to ride the bus together. You know, we are we were in very different crowds. Stacy was known as kind of a wild child. And I was just trying to make it through. And we didn't talk much in the hallways. But on those New Jersey transit rides, we connected. We talked about our life. We talked about our fears, and we talked about how we're never supposed to be vulnerable. We talked about how to survive being tough in Atlantic City. And that's something I think the assholes from Ventnor and Margate will never understand. She was a smart girl. She was a pretty girl. She had opportunities. She was going to go off to college. And then a few things happened. She ended up working as a cocktail waitress in Atlantic City. We were in community college together. Um, My first two years of college was Atlantic Cape Community College. And I went to community college because I was working full time. And we were in some classes together. And you understand something, at this point in your life, you're 18, and you knew this person since they were 13, so you had kind of a connection there, and you sat together in classes, and you were cool with each other. You know, she used to tell these weird stories. Um, remember freshman year of college, and she was just telling me how her and her boyfriend beat the shit out of each other. And I said to her, you know... No man should ever hit a woman. She goes, well, if I hit him, I deserve to get hit. And that was kind of like, that was such an Atlantic City answer. And I, you know, and I don't want to overstep my bounds here because her and I didn't hang out. We never dated. We weren't best of friends. But the men in her life who hit her. Whether she did something or not, in their warped eyes, that's just fucked up. You don't hit a woman. You don't hit a woman. You don't hit a child. You don't hurt an animal. Men deserve to be hurt sometimes. But I just felt like there was always this dark cloud amongst this pretty girl who... 
She just seemed to have a lot of negative forces around her. And I guess I was lucky enough to get to know her on a different level. Because she would tell me things I believe she didn't share with others. And Facebook kind of brought us together later in life. And we would DM a lot, believe it or not. And you wouldn't think those two personalities would. She came to me for advice, and I came to her for advice. Because even though we were in different stations of life, I felt like I could talk to Stacy more than most lawyers I know. And we wouldn't talk for a year, and then we would pick up the conversation just like that. I think Stacy Bell was a special person. I think, um... She deserved better than life threw at her. She deserved better. And it's going to be tough not seeing her in the news feed anymore. It's going to be tough not having those New Jersey texts and thinking, hey, how's Stace doing? Let me hit her up on a DM or something. When the news got posted that she passed away, I just was, you know, a lot of memories came back. And I'm seeing young people die. Danny Cattaray, Stacy Bell, we'll get the Melinda Shriver and a few. Eric Coleman, I mean, you know guys, life is precious. And I guess there's so much anger going on with me right now for certain things some of the powers that be who are complete snake oil salesmen and I'm sitting here thinking how much of my day no matter what I have or what power I appear to have or what's going on positive negativity speaks louder than positive it just does and that's sad and I think of when those negative forces come into my world. And I'll tell you, two of the people I could DM or text when those negative things came were Danielle Cattaray and Stacy Bell. We didn't have to hang out to be friends. And I did consider Stacy a friend. And to her family, to her loved ones, to her inner circle, I'm really sorry for your loss. She was a more powerful and better person than Atlantic City in the world ever realized. You'll be missed, Stace. And then Melinda Shriver. You know... Linda was an interesting person. We worked at Tropicana together. We sort of grew up in the business together. I was a bar porter and a bartender. She was a cocktail waitress. Melinda had a different type of attitude. She reminded me of Stacy on a lot of ways because Melinda and I 
or what you would call unlikely friends. Listen to different music. Wore different clothes. Different views on life. But there was something special about Melinda. Melinda had one of the best hearts I ever know. Because beneath that rough exterior was a girl who truly cared about people. She was a great mother, good friend. I hear she was an amazing daughter, though I didn't know her mom and dad. And I know, I guess it was about a year ago, her son died. And I think Melinda's heart was broken. I just would watch the Facebook post. It was one of those things where I didn't want to cross a line. You know, Stacy was different. Like, me and Stacy could talk about true tragedy. And we were two Lang City kids talking about Melinda, you tread it more lightly. Um, but when her son died, I, um... I didn't know what to say to that. Because here was this tough girl. And make no mistake about it, Melinda was tough. Melinda was hardcore. But when her son died, I sold this different side of her. And there were two times I sold a different side of Melinda, really. One is when her child died. And what do you say to somebody whose child passed away? What do you say to somebody who's tough and child passed away other than I'm sorry, right? But it was weird. I think it was a year ago that he died and then she passed away on Sunday, I believe. And, um, I want to tell you a little bit about the Melinda Shriver I know. Because this was a tough time in my life. I was not getting into law school right away. I was struggling with the LSAT due to dyslexia. And we were working the poker bar together. We were in different cliques. She loved chicken tenders from Tony's Baltimore Grill. And one day, we got talking about that. And I would bring her chicken tenders from Baltimore Grill once in a while, and I would give it to her after the chaos of work calmed down. She always appreciated that, but what I really did in that nice deed, if you would, was I learned a lot about her. Because when the poker bar slowed down, when the drink stopped, and it was like 2 o'clock in the morning on a Wednesday night, and things are slow, we would talk and have heart-to-hearts. We could tell each other things that would remain with us. And let me tell you guys, it's rare. Because you learn in life, there's very few people you can empower with private information. And Melinda Shriver was one of them. It was a really difficult time in my life. And those two o'clock in the morning conversations over chicken tenders about politics, sports, life, loves. It really made an ugly time bearable. 
And uh, when I went off to law school, she was going to work at the Brigada. I think she was one of the first Brigada babes, as they called, and they were the cocktail servers at Brigada. And I said to her, hey, I'll catch up with you. And she said to me, Bill, you're never coming back here. And we just looked at each other and it was like she knew something I didn't know at that time. And I guess what I learned from that was, yeah, I guess physically I'd be present in Atlantic City again, but I would never mentally be there again. I think she was smart enough to know that before I was. I learned a lot from Melinda's talks. I don't think if you looked at Stacey Bell or Melinda Shriver and me, you would ever think there were connections there. But there were deep connections. You don't have to hang out with someone to be a good friend. You don't have to be close to them geographically. I am so sorry that Melinda's last year was filled with tragedy. And I'm so sorry that Stacy Bell suffered a lot. Stacy and Melinda made this world a better place. They made Atlantic City a better place. And let me just tell you guys, Atlantic City taught you a lot of things you didn't need to learn. And those girls understood that. They grabbed it, and they controlled it to the best of their abilities. Y'all be missed. Rest in peace, guys.
The proceeding was a paid presentation by McManus and Amadeo PLLC. Listeners of this program should contact their attorney to obtain advice with respect to any particular legal matter. No listener should act or refrain from acting on the basis of information within this program without first seeking legal advice from counsel in the relevant jurisdiction. Only your individual attorney can provide assurances that the information and your interpretation of it is applicable or appropriate to your particular situation. Listening to this program using any associated website or related links or resources does not create an attorney-client relationship between the listener and host, contributors, or contributing law firms. All liability with respect to actions taken or not taken based on the contents of this program are hereby expressly disclaimed. You and your loved ones deserve a criminal defense firm that believes that your life and freedom are worth fighting for. Matt McManus, Bill Amadeo, and the McManus and Amadeo team of attorneys, investigators, and case managers will take the lead with a vast knowledge and legal experience across the state of Michigan to get the best possible result for you. Learn more at McManusAmadeo.com. Schedule a free consultation 24-7 by calling 800-392-7311.